0: Welcome to CareCast, CareNet's podcast on family, faith, and life with me, Vincent DiCaro, CareNet's Chief Outreach Officer, and Roland Warren, CareNet's President and CEO. In this episode, you'll be hearing an interview with Roland and Dr. Russell Moore, the President of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Moore was one of the keynote speakers at CareNet's 2016 National Conference in September. Rolland sat down with Dr. Moore to talk about religious liberty, the importance of the church in the future of the pro-life movement, and a little bit about his keynote address on the importance of reaching the invisible people in our society with the love of Christ. Here are Rolland and Dr. Moore.
1: Great. I'm just happy to be involved in another one of our Carecast uh, presentations for everyone and we're delighted to be here at the 2016 CareNet annual conference here in sunny Orlando and we're here with Dr. Russell Moore the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And we're delighted to be with you, Dr. Moore. Thanks so much for taking time out of your no doubt busy schedule to to be be with us. Great, great. So first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do as part of the commission?
2: Well, we do two things. Uh, The the first thing we do is to equip churches and families to apply the gospel to Mm -hmm. ethical questions. So everything from marriage and family uh, to end-of-life decisions and uh, racial reconciliation Mm -hmm. questions, and uh, the full spectrum of those things. And then the second thing we do is to advocate uh, from the churches okay. it, to government and media and, and cultural institutions mm-hmm. about uh, the, the, the things that we care about. So gotcha. those are the two things we do.
1: Okay. Now, so you're located in a couple of locations, right? Yes.
2: We're, we're located in Washington, D.C. and Nashville.
1: Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been over to the Leland House, and
2: mm-hmm. I know it's amazing work that you're
1: doing there. Um, how long has that been in operation I mean when you when did you guys start doing that when did you start
2: doing the work that you're doing there well we've been doing it since 1913 okay uh, but uh, our Washington office opened uh, in the 1990s okay uh, yeah.
1: So what would cause you to op- open the Washington office?
2: Well, we had always had a presence in Washington through, uh, through an organization that was a conglomeration of Baptist groups okay. speaking specifically to religious liberty mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the time came when we needed to, uh, we needed to have a direct, presence on gotcha. ethics and religious liberty issues in Washington.
1: And how long have you been president of the uh, Since
2: 2013. It'll be coming up on four years this March. Wow. Very cool. You and just I started out by. this time. Yeah, it did.
1: <laughs> and you still look fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody can tell that, I'm, I'm sure, from the podcast. Yes, it just that's comes, right. It comes through. Well, listen, uh, let's talk a little bit about just the religious liberty aspect of what you're doing. I mean, you know, we have a network of 1,100 pregnancy centers that are part of CareNet. Net. Uh, they're all 501c3 organizations. Mm-hmm itself as a 501c3 organization as well mm-hmm. and there's been a lot uh, certainly in the news in a lot of ways and certainly in uh, different magazines that are focused on Christian ministry they're talking about religious liberty and the challenges there and the risks there so yeah. can you talk a little bit about what you're doing there what the kinds of things that we as a ministry should be thinking about
2: well one of the things that I've found is that when I'm talking to uh, lay leaders and pastors and others a lot of times they're worried about the wrong things Okay. Uh, so what, what many leaders are worried about is, is the government going to come in and force my church right, okay. to do this, that, or the, or the other? Right. And uh, I don't think that's likely at mm. all. Really? I, mean, I think the issue is going to be in terms of these uh, institutions that are outside of the local church, right? which would include pregnancy resource uh, centers and mm-hmm. colleges and universities and others those are the institutions that are going to face major pressure. And that, of course, has a direct implication on on the churches. Um, and then questions of people living out their faith uh, mm-hmm. in their workplace or in, uh, or in other places. That's, uh, that's, that's part of the, the mm-hmm. danger as well.
1: Gotcha. You know, it's interesting that you would say that because uh, certainly as a, as a Christian ministry, um, you know, that pressure that can come from... Forces that are trying to direct what you do or what you don't do even if you don't take government money But to try to shut you down in the public square. I mean are pretty significant I mean we've seen some of that with with carenet even uh, in terms of our trying our trying to engage online Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the pregnancy centers have had some issues uh, in terms of that and uh, Even in terms of people wanting to sponsor uh, things of that nature, you know, there's some uh, some pretty amazing examples of Christians who've been in the public square and been involved in television or something like that Mm -hmm. and then someone finds out that they have a a pro-life position Position and yep. then you know the funding gets pulled, or they get forced off the air. I mean, is that the kind of thing that, that you're it really, about?
2: it really is? It. And part of the problem is in American culture right now, there's this impulse not to have debate. And right. discussion and dialogue, but to try to shut the other side down and mm-hmm. to silence uh, the other side, and uh, that's not that's not an American principle. Mm-hmm. And so we, we need to have the, the sort of American society where we can we can disagree and we can come into the public square as who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's really countercultural to say that, right? Uh, to say we ought to be free to dissent right. uh, in American life.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I read a piece that you wrote uh, talking about Jeremiah. Uh, Moore I think mm-hmm. it was yeah, yeah. and then also John Leland and and the time that they lived in and, and the issues that they had in, around religious liberty and the, kind of the, the model that they set and some lessons there. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well yeah I mean these were early uh, around the founding era evangelical Baptist uh, pastors and evangelists and, and they were concerned about religious freedom for everybody. Mm-hmm. They were consistent in that. And what they said was if you've got the government able to come in and shut people down uh, because of their religious views. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is that immoral, it, it violates people's consciences, it also is going to inevitably end up, uh, end up persecuting you
0: right, uh, as right. well. So they
2: were really consistent in advocating for religious freedom. They had a long-term vision mm-hmm. of what that ought to be, and they were continually warning people, don't get entangled up with these government alliances that are ultimately going to, are going to end up robbing you in your ministry of the very power that you have, gotcha. which is the gospel, and I think that's still a relevant word.
1: Yeah, I I, I would agree with you. Uh, I've read your new book that that you came out with, Outward, right?
2: Onward, Onward yes. excuse
1: me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and you talk about those topics in terms of encouraging folks in the body to be out in the public square and, yeah. and not to be afraid that way. And you know, it's funny because you know we do a lot of work. Um, certainly, trying to engage the church and trying to get pastors, in particular, to take a leadership role on the on the life issue, and, yeah. and we are seeing a little bit in terms of like this sort of entanglement
2: yeah.
1: with the government or um, entanglement with politics yeah. Uh, yeah. that is, you know, is causing sometimes pastors not to be vocal or lead on a, on a certain issue,
2: or or sometimes it, it ends up with the very uh, situation where the government comes in and tries to restrict you. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I'm When I'm talking to couples who've been married a couple years and sometimes uh, they'll come in and say, my in-laws are just interfering with us. They're wanting to run everything in our Mm -hmm. lives. First thing I say is... You've been talking to us. Have you... Yeah. (laughs) 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 I know you met my wife earlier. Oh,
1: okay. I didn't know she talked to you about that. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We love you all in this. The first thing I
2: ask is how much money are you taking from them? (laughs) <laughs> and, and I see you know, if, if they're paying for everything, then they have a they have a, they have this idea that they can run what's going on in your in your household. So the first thing you need to do right. is to try to become independent of that. And that's that's one of the things that we have to say in terms of our work in the public arena. We need to have an independence. Uh, from the government uh, mm-hmm. in order to speak a prophetic word uh, okay. to the government. And, and not, not just an encouraging word, but sometimes even a word of, of rebuke and of dissent.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard some talk about, you know, potentially uh, the, you know, tax deduction, piece that's connected to the church as a you know as a religious entity that yeah. you, you know you, you tithe to the church or give to the church and you get a tax deduction uh, for that, that that that's an area that's potentially at risk. I mean what what are your thoughts on
2: that? Uh, well, it could be. I mean th- there's there's a certain segment in American life that really doesn't want to see Uh, those mediating institutions between the individual and the state at all, Mm -hmm. uh, regardless of whether they're they're churches or or whatever Um, and would like to to simply give more and more power to the individual alone Mm -hmm. and then in reliance on the state. Mm -hmm. And so that that leads people to, it's been for a long time, where there have been groups wanting to eliminate or uh, cap uh, tax exemption and tax deductions and so forth. And then there are others who particularly want to, to target churches or mm-hmm. uh, organizations that operate out of a, a religious uh, viewpoint. That's That's not only... A dangerous mentality for us. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous mentality for the people who are advocating it. Right, I mean, right. the, the power to tax is the power to destroy, mm-hmm. and the last thing that we want in American life is to hollow out uh, those those institutions that really bind and keep communities together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, when you think about, for instance, uh, right right now, a few weeks ago, you have uh, you have massive flooding in Louisiana, right? And and what do we count on? We count on religious organizations and charitable organizations to be on the ground and and working. We count on churches and other religious houses of worship uh, being there and ministering to people. Uh, Those those who want to eliminate all of that Mm -hmm. and simply act as though the government can come in mm-hmm. and be yeah. Mother Teresa to everyone. Yeah. Uh, they're just wrong.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with that a thousand percent. And it was interesting when they had the big earthquakes in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because churches were, were, were going over there as part of that. And one of the things I reminded folks often, particularly people who are not Christians, is that people in Christian churches have been going to Haiti. Yeah. Even before the earthquake, that's right. and oh, by the way, after all the cameras and CNN and everybody else was gone, guess who's still going? That's right. You know, so right. and so a lot of times people will underweight the impact that religion, the religious people, and yeah. the church in particular, has on these, kind, these kinds of crises, and thinks that government will can step in in the same way as effectively and as cost effectively.
2: Well, that's right. I, I had a a secular progressive uh, person who was really upset about um, our work in orphan care Mm -hmm. and said, you know, why do you have so many evangelical Christians who are involved in adopting kids and in the foster care system and so forth? I said, you know, rather than complain about so many of us being involved, what you really ought to do is to get more of you uh, (laughs) involved in in adopting kids and, and, and doing so forth. And I think that's really the answer,
1: yeah, absolutely. So let's transition a little bit because that's a great kind of segue um, point to talk a little bit about the life issue.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, just on a personal level, can you tell me a little bit why is this an issue that animates you? When I kind of asked you to participate here and, and be a keynote, you kind of jumped at it right mm-hmm. away. And I know you've got many, many things you could be doing. Can you talk to me a little bit about what what kind of motivates you on that issue? Well,
2: specifically as it relates to CareNet, one of the things that motivates me is that I think that pregnancy resource centers. Mm-hmm are not only doing good and necessary work, but they're also showing mm-hmm. the, rest of, uh, the rest of Christianity and really the rest of America mm-hmm. how we ought to be engaging with our neighbors. I mean, when gotcha. you look at your, your typical pregnancy resource center, the myth is that this is just a place where a pregnant woman in crisis comes in and talks about abortion and then is convinced not to have an abortion and send her away. Mm-hmm. That's not what they do.
1: Nope. Uh, they're
2: involved in, as, as, you, uh, as you know better than anybody in leading uh, this movement, they're involved in everything from uh, caring for the woman holistically in in every area of her of her needs at that moment, and that goes on mm-hmm. uh, long after the baby has been born, or or in after the abortion has been had, when when right. women go and, and, and make a, a decision they've been counseled not to do, and so that's really a model I think for the rest of uh, for the rest of the church and the rest of society as to how we're to engage with mm-hmm. other people. So I'm I'm really. I'm really motivated because of that. And the second thing is just personally in our own lives, uh, my wife and I adopted two uh, little boys who were a year old. Now
1: you have a total of five. Correct? We have a total
2: of five, yeah. Right, we okay. adopted our first two. The rest came along the more typical way. Okay. <laughs> and uh, those those little one-year-old Russian boys who are now 15. Wow. Um, that That really changed our perspective when it comes to Fatherless kids, women in crisis. Uh, we were we were always pro life, but uh, I think I think that changed our heart okay. uh, response to this issue. It's it's more personal and visceral mm-hmm. uh, for us now gotcha. because we see in these vulnerable kids, kids who are just like our kids were, right? And we see in these vulnerable women, women who are who are in situations just like our kids' birth mothers. Gotcha. Were.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting thing, because I know the personal story is, is, is very important. And it's one of the key reasons that so many people do this work, and you're spot on in terms of this. You know, these, these sort of incubators of compassion that are in communities, which are pregnancy centers, yeah. and kind of the best of what civil society yeah. is about, and, and certainly from a church perspective. And, you know, I, I think one of the other things, at least from, from my perspective... Um, that's been really important for us. And and one of the things that we're trying to even do more of is really sort of engagement with the church. Now, you're Mm -hmm. part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. They actually are connected, obviously, into uh, ERLC. Um, That's been one of the challenges that we've seen in the work that we do, this connection between pregnancy centers and the church. And specifically, given that the pregnancy center is focused on, really on evangelism, mm-hmm. right? And then there's this need for discipleship, mm-hmm. and the church obviously is the seed of discipleship. Yeah. And so, what we one of the challenges we've seen is that you know once you sort of love her up or love the couple up, and then if we sort of have them move back into the community mm-hmm. where they're being frankly disciples of that community, which has yeah. dealing linked fatherhood, motherhood, sex, and marriage, then yeah. then we see what discipleship does, which is replication, which means we see them again as clients. Yeah. So one of the key things for us now is really trying to make that transition to the church, so that we can hand folks to the church yeah. uh, for ongoing support and discipleship, which is obviously the Great Commission. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, from your standpoint, how um, you you think that this connection could happen, or maybe even to maybe to some degree, like. If you agree kind of that's an important aspect oh, of the we should absolutely Oh,
2: absolutely. It's critical. And uh, what, one, of the, one of the reasons I think that it's so difficult, I think there are a couple reasons why it's difficult. One of them is uh, when you're dealing with people who are hurting, mm-hmm. that takes time and energy. Right. And uh, as the church, we've been called to care for those who are, are hurt- hurting and, and wounded. Uh, but often it's just easier mm-hmm. not to do it right? because uh, you, you, have to, you have to walk with people who've been in very difficult situations. Uh, some churches just have to be uh, awakened mm-hmm. to the biblical mandate to do that. Mm-hmm. And secondly, because what has to happen is pastors particularly right. have to understand and know uh, not only that this is part of our, our mandate I mean James 127 says that all of us are to care for uh, widows, vulnerable women and orphans, mm-hmm. fatherless kids in their in their distress. the pastor not only has to know that that is the mandate and cast the vision to the rest of the congregation right. he also has to know how do I do it mm-hmm. and so what what we want to do is to raise up and highlight, churches that are doing things well mm-hmm. uh, in order to show to other churches you you might not replicate this ministry exactly right uh, but here here's some ideas for how to do it so for instance we have one church that's doing really good work uh, when it comes to dealing with post-abortive men mm-hmm. and one of the things that they found is that there's a gap uh, in terms of men who've been uh, involved in, in procuring or paying for abortions that that aren't even addressed
1: right okay. and so
2: the, part of their men's ministry is helping those men to mm-hmm. come to uh, to come to a place of, of freedom uh, from right. the, the guilt and the shame that they that they bear from that and then to help them to equip uh, other men younger men not to be yeah. in that situation well you know, they're able then to come and, and to share with other pastors this is how we did this mm-hmm. and then a pastor can look at that or a church leader can look at that and say well here here are some things that wouldn't work in our context but here's some things that would mm. and so what I found is and really this applies to pregnancy resource center work it also applies to orphan care uh, ministry and, and several other things sometimes you will have groups within churches that are starting to get a vision for what, what God, God can do sometimes they're really frustrated Mm-hmm. Uh, with their pastor and their their leadership, and what I would counsel you to do is don't become um, a lobbying interest group, you know, mm-hmm. pestering the pastor and the leader. And instead, uh, share with the pastor and the leadership. Here's what God's put on our heart. Here's what we're doing, and work toward creating a culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, once people start to just think through, wait a minute when I'm thinking of vulnerable women who are in crisis, um, I'm not thinking of an abstract category. I'm thinking of her. I'm thinking of Tina,
1: right, right. who's, who's you
2: know, three rows in front of me. Well, what I found is, when that starts to happen a little bit within a church, and you start to have people who are doing that, then more and more people start asking, well, where's my place in this? Yeah, yeah. How can I do that? And so if you just have people in leadership who are willing to stand up and say, "Look, we've got a lot of hurting women in our community, yeah. and we've got a lot of hurting children in our community." I don't know how God has called you to minister to them, but would you just ask, mm-hmm. "What should our place be?" Remarkable things can happen out of that.
1: Well, that's very powerful, and, and you know, it's so, it ties in so well to you know what we're trying to do at Karen. And there's a couple of sort of data points that that really. Um, kind of helped us kind of think through this. And one of them, which was a, a study that LifeWay, which I know is part mm-hmm. of your yeah. network of, of, of um, ministries, actually did a, a survey with CareNet, And we kind of, we sponsored the survey. But essentially what we did was we went out and talked to women who'd had abortions. And um, not just Christian women, but all women. And we, we found some things which tied, tie directly into this. And one of the things that we found that was very compelling for us was that four out of 10 Christian women who had abortions were attending church at the time of their first abortion. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of women within the church that are having abortion, in mm-hmm. in, in the church on Sunday and in the abortion clinic on yep. Monday. So it's not really even so much that, you know, even for the church that you've got to look out yeah. in the broader community. The fact of the matter is that we can look in. Yeah. And I really believe strongly that we have we need to overturn Roe v. Wade within our own churches and within our own pews. Absolutely. And, and there's an enormous opportunity to do that, and that really inspired us to release a, a, a um, new a career called Making Life Disciples, which is really designed to equip the church to offer compassion, hope, help, and discipleship hmm. to anyone who's considering considering abortion. So to your point in terms of you know folks within the church kind of looking and seeing that person within the church who's hurting, there's a ministry on-ramp to, to be able to do that. That's um, so
2: needed. That is well, really needed. And, and
1: you know, the other thing I want to just... Uh, have you sort of chat talk a little bit about is, you know, this whole notion around discipleship. I know a lot of people are talking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we felt very called to uh, kind of try to link the abortion issue to discipleship as a way to do things. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, from your perspective, what you're seeing within your church and you know, and the receptivity even to frame the life issue in the context of discipleship as opposed to outside of that context?
2: Well, I think what what a lot of people are waking up to is that there are no people who are not disciples. Mm-hmm. Everybody is being discipled. Yeah. It's yeah. just a question of who is doing the discipling. <laughs> right, right. And one of the things we found on the life issue is that Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry are really, really good at discipling people. Yeah. Uh, and, and by that, I mean they come in and, and say, this is a vision for what your life could be. We have a solution to your problem, and we can walk you through it step yeah, by step yeah. by step. Now, it's a it's a dark place right. that they lead them to, but they're the ones talking and engaging that issue. If we don't, if we are too squirmish yeah. to talk about abortion, or if we act as though the women in our congregations or the men in our congregations won't be tempted yeah. uh, toward abortion, then we're not discipling. And then if yeah. we're not the people who are willing to take uh, people who have come out of those mm-hmm. situations and offer the freedom that comes with the gospel yeah. and to say you don't you don't need to be hiding in the shadows yeah. as a matter of fact one of the things that I've found is one of the most effective uh, in, in any given church some of the most effective disciples when it comes to the life issue are women who have experienced abortion right they Absolutely. know what that is like and so they're able to come and say I'm not coming to you from a place of judgment i'm coming to you from a place of of common hurt Mm. i I think god uses that in remarkable ways and plus when you have people who are willing to step forward and say this was me yeah i was in that abortion clinic Uh, this is what this is what happened to me it gives a sense of freedom because i think there are a lot of people who assume well people in churches are people who just have regular sins whatever we define regular but you're not talking about me Mm -hmm. no 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 jesus died for uh, all of our sins including the ones that we we feel are too shameful to to speak about and the, the process of discipleship is able to help us not only to be free from those things but also to be able to serve and, yeah. and often that place of service is right in the place of our darkest wounds. Yeah. And so I think as churches start to, to realize that and say, as we're, as we're discipling, say, this woman who has had this abortion and she's trying to be free from the guilt and shame from that, we don't just see her as a project. Right. We see her as somebody that God is perhaps going to use dramatically. In, mm-hmm. in ministering to others in the same situation. Uh, I think that, that that has to be consistently in our, in our mindset. That just means consistently reminding ourselves and other people. The church isn't about people who have everything together right. identifying other people who yeah. have everything together. Right. That's not what the church is. <laughs> the church is, is guilty sinners and uh, wounded, broken people, who have found forgiveness and life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not just a slogan, that's really yeah. uh, the truth. We've got to communicate that.
1: Yeah, amen, amen. And it really is the discipleship piece really leads to replication, Yeah, which is really what this is all about. We want, we want people to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we want them to be disciples to other people, yeah. right? So it's it's not, it becomes this sort of situation where you know you have that principle of discipleship, which really isn't a biblical construct in the sense it's a Christian thing. Yeah. It's kind of a it's a it's a form of of replication, in yeah. a sense, and anyone can do it, whether you're a gang leader or whatever. Yeah, right. You you have disciples, so to speak, and this is a, this is really applying this issue to uh, the church and that and construct you, to the church. You know, church. one
2: of the things i found too, I, I had someone who was criticizing millennials. Right. Well, a lot of people like to bash millennials. I, I don't, right, right. but this person was criticizing millennials, and he says, they don't want to listen to anyone older than they are. And I said, really? I said, because I'm hearing from thousands of millennials all the time. And right. the number one thing they're asking me is where can I find a mentor? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's the number one thing that they're asking. And I think wow. we have people throughout our churches and our communities who are saying, is there someone who is able to come in and to pour into my life uh, and to be able to, to to work with me as I as I try to mature in Christ? That's a, that's not just a need that we have. It's a it's a felt need yeah. as well in our churches, and we, we just have to step into the great. into the place there and do it. And this
1: is a wonderful issue for for millennials, the life issue yeah. it ties right into the social justice orientation right. and those types of things that folks are drawn to. So we think it's a great uh, great issue for them to get connected in. Well, as we close up here, why don't you can you give me just sort of a little thumbnail of kind of what you're going to talk about? You're going to be doing the keynote uh, tonight. We're delighted to have you do that. And uh, what what are you going to talk about a little bit maybe we covered some of it now but if there's some other pieces there
2: well the, the main thing I'm going to talk about is our task and pregnancy resource centers tasks in uh, in working with invisible people mm-hmm. in the, the people that the rest of society want to make mm-hmm. uh, invisible so okay. we just don't think about them at all the 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 child who's uh, behind the, 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 the wall of the womb and the, the woman who's in trouble, who's be- behind the wall of, of neglect wow. uh, that people have. And then how do we learn from the way that we're dealing with these invisible people on the life issue mm-hmm. uh, to engage with those invisible people generally? Gotcha. All around us, as the Church of Jesus Christ, and I think I think pregnancy resource centers are doing that in a way that they have insights to share with the rest of the church. And sometimes I think people who are involved in these ministries just assume because they know mm-hmm. uh, what the Bible mandates and they know how God has called them to, they assume everybody else knows that and gets that. Mm-hmm. And we really need uh, we really need the wisdom that's coming out of these ministries to be shown to the rest of the church and to and to unleash the rest of the church.
1: Great, fantastic! Well, I look forward to hearing that. I always love hearing you speak and getting sort of a, a ladle of your wisdom and perspective whenever, <laughs> whenever I can. So, thank you so much for being a part of this uh, podcast. And oh, you prayer. know, we we we're, we're just going to be uh, continually uh, kind of reaching out to you folks because the work that you're doing, talking about religious liberty, talking about the life issue, talking about marriage, I and mean, all these things that you've talked about, fatherhood, those things are so important and interconnected in the work that we do. And we are mm-hmm. so thankful for the, your leadership.
0: And, and the work that you do on and a daily are, basis. And, and we your are team. of you and
1: CareNet as well. All right. Blessings to you. Thanks so much. Thank
0: you. That was CareNet President and CEO Roland Warren interviewing Dr. Russell Moore, President of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, who delivered a keynote address at CareNet's 2016 National Conference. That's it for this episode of CareCast. Until next time, may God bless you daily as you serve him faithfully.